in the in the spring of um, 2019, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church met, and that meeting was something of a debacle because it had been planned that there would be a kind of seamless transition into a new way of understanding full inclusion in the United Methodist Church, and that did not happen. So what came down after that was a lot of upheaval, upheaval in this church, uh, upheaval uh, around the Texas Annual Conference of Methodist Churches, indeed in the entire denomination. And had it not been for COVID, uh, what is about to happen in the next few weeks, um, which is an inevitable split of the United Methodist Church, Many churches will be leaving to be part of a new denomination called the Global Methodist Church. And um, at the time of that upheaval that happened in 2019, some of us, um, I think Holly Hudley and Matt Russell and I think Brooke Summers Perry and a number of us who were part of a group that we call Conspire at that time here, we're talking, and um, Matt Russell said that he wished that we could have a conversation, not just about homosexuality, but about sexuality in the church. And on the podcast that Holly and I do every week, we uh, started talking about this this past week, and I said, wow, it'd be good if we could do that right away. <laughs> Three years is not too much of a lag time <laughs> after <laughs> wanting to do that. And so... Um, uh, Holly uh, had agreed, and um, we thought of some people who would constitute a panel to be here today, and I'm just simply uh, introducing them. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I think they have a plan that each one of them is going to speak for a while. We're not going to take today questions from the audience, but if you have uh, questions to ask them after class is over, they will stay here and they will... Uh, speak with you. So um, I'm going to skip this first slide and say that um, no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here and I'm going to invite the panel up now to take over. No applause, please. <laughs> not yet, not yet. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so why don't we introduce ourselves really quickly, um, and then we'll start with Jeff. Yeah, go ahead. You have the mic in your hand. Okay, I'm Roddy Young, and I'm a gay man, and I'm a member here at Ordinary Life and a member at um, St. Luke's Methodist Church. We all have mics. Yeah, we we're mics. good. That's yeah. yours. <laughs> Yeah, you just hold on to that one. <laughs> I'm the poor little child who doesn't have a mic. <laughs> um, hello, uh, my name is Jet Guadalupe Flores. My pronouns are he, him, his. Um, I am pansexual. I identify as gender nonconforming, transgender, and non-binary. Um, and yeah, I'm here to represent uh, trans people and non-binary people and gender diverse people in general. Yeah. And you all know me, I'm Holly Hudley, I am uh, she, her, and I'm here in two capacities as an ally and also just as a woman speaking on issues of gender and, and in the church. So yeah, we each have a little bit to say about our experience and kind of how um, we navigate spirituality and religion in the context of how we each show up in the world. So start with Jet. Okay, so uh, for this first couple of minutes, um, I already introduced myself, um, and I didn't really ask if I could pray, but I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, you can close your eyes, do whatever you got to do. You could dance, shake your butt, do what you got to <laughs> do. Um, hey, uh, Jesus, um, God, Holy Spirit, universe, Mother Nature, Father Time, Buddha, all of our ancestors, um, we just ask that you be with us here. Uh, I ask that uh, you would allow the uh, soil of everybody's hearts and everybody's minds to be wet and fertile so that we may be able to receive and uh, plant seeds 
and allow them to grow and to open up uh, new doors and new opportunities for us. God, I thank you um, for my bravery and for everybody else who is up here um, and being vulnerable and sharing their stories, God. Um, please let everybody in this room know that we are also human um, and that we are just coming before you and sharing what you've done in our lives um, and how you are going to continue to work in us. Um, God, thank you for using me. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so I'm Jet, Jet Guadalupe. Um, I am transgender and I am also a Christian in the Methodist Church. I recently actually just uh, got baptized um, in the Methodist Church with my six-year-old kid um, like three weeks ago, honestly. Um, and I started transitioning medically, or I started transitioning in 2018, medically starting to transition in 2019. And um, I actually started going back to church. I ended up, I'm, I'm a tech for Chapelwood. And so I ended up being a tech at Chapelwood, and it was my first time coming back to church um, for a very long time. Um, and it's crazy because when I tell people that when I started transitioning, I ended up in the church, and I ended up finding home, right? I fi finding a community. Um, people were like, what the if? Um, that's not normal. Um, and also, like, we're in the Bible Belt, right? We're in a red state. and. Um, I don't know about y'all, but there's so much um, anti-trans hate right now, um, anti-trans uh, laws trying to get passed all over America. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm rambling at this time, so let me go back to my notes. Oh yeah, so I know y'all don't all know, um, you wanna take those? Yeah. Ronnie, will you give those just to the corners and see if we can. Um, I know y'all don't know all of the words that I just said, transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming. Um, it's all lots of big words, but they've all existed. Um, okay, thank you. Um, and I'm passing out a, gl a glossary, and I'm also passing out a uh, gender unicorn. Um, I am a volunteer and a volunteer and hatch facilitator for Hatch Youth, which is an organization um, at the Montrose Center. I'm gonna stand, uh, okay. if that's okay. Um, yeah, I'm a, uh, a volunteer facilitator at Hatch Youth, which is a program for LGBTQIA plus youth in the Houston area. And um, I've been working with them since 2018, and it's been great. So uh, we use these gender unicorns, as you see, I don't know if they're getting passed across yet, um, but we use these gender unicorns for the kids um, to simplify what it means to um, be fluid in all things. Um, because gender is fluid, sexuality is fluid, um, and all the other things, right? So can you, oh yeah, it's on there, cool. Yeah. Jet, the camera kind of stays in one place okay, if cool. you want to just be aware of that. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. So as you look at that and you look at the glossary, you can uh, see the different words and the different languages that I'm going to be using, the different, yeah, just different words that I'm going to be using um, throughout this panel. Um, did everybody get the glossary? Everybody got the gender unicorn? You guys can take that home and color it in and figure <laughs> out where you are on the spectrum, right? I know it seems silly, but it's very simple. Um, as humans, we just overcomplicate things. We overcomplicate a lot of things, actually. Um, and so this is to help you all understand all of that thing. So, like I said, we use that for Hatch. Um, also gonna talk, okay. All right. So, now that y'all have all of those things, I'm going to go back and say, oh, yeah, you can show that. There's some more terms there, LGBTQIA+, lots of words. Have y'all seen any of these words before? Some of them. 
not all of these words are on the glossary, but you can use your phones to check them out on your off time. Okay, back to me and my, uh, <laughs> my story. Um, yeah, I'm stumped. I don't know what I should. Well, what about you in sort of spirituality? How have you felt included or not included in, a, in the space of a spiritual tradition? And how have you come, how have you come back to that in yeah. the sense of being fully yourself? Yeah. Well, I, I'll say this. Um, okay, so in 2018, oh man, I had a kid in 2016. I was married, I uh, had a kid. And um, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression. Um, and I was searching, uh, figuring, trying to figure out what was wrong with me um, and what was going on with me. Because everything crashed and burned when I had a child. My entire, everything just shut down. Um, and it was a very traumatic uh, experience for me. And that's not what a lot of people would say when they have a kid. Um, and so I, I started searching and started going to therapy um, and was questioning a lot of things. You know, I grew up in and, in and out of church, um, but back when I was a child, I didn't um, speak up. All I heard was bad things about gay people and trans people. Um, and back then they would use, you know, terrible slurs. Um, and so I just stayed quiet for most of that. And I was also diagnosed with a dissociative disorder. And so because of a lot of trauma that happened in my childhood, um, once, uh, because of the, tra the trauma that happened in my childhood, I was diagnosed with PTSD and dissociative disorder. And, um, and so I started working on myself through therapy, through going through therapy and talking about um, all of the things that happened to me um, because I never took the time to do that. And so um, I went to Bible college too. That's a whole thing. I had a whole thing and now I'm like lost. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I went to Bible college. I was in and out of church growing up um, and in and out of church growing up. And then I ended up going uh, to Bible college and I stayed there for a long time. And even in the Bible college, it was very strict. Um, a lot of people were sent there um, to pray away the gay. Um, and a lot of my friends were kicked out and overnight um, because they could not pray away their gay, right? Um, and so they were kicked out. I had multiple friends that happened to, um, and I was still there. I still stayed there. I stayed strong. Um, and then once I decided to move on, um, everybody that I knew there and that I grew up with there um, stopped talking to me, uh, and it really hurt, and that's where I stopped talking to God. I stopped talking to the church. I stopped going and being involved in such. Um, and fast forward, um, when I started working at Chapelwood, my first experience with them, with church people back in the church, was at a brewery and everybody was drinking beer and I was like these people are sinners <laughs> like they're drinking beer openly and we're all fellowship and their worship they had they were like playing worship music and everything and I was just like what is happening like what happened to the church um, and so I started to inquire more about Chapelwood and inquire like who are these people who are Methodists um, I had no idea about the splits or about the gay rights that everybody feels so strongly about, um, you know, being married, gay marriage and all of those things. If you don't want to, um, if you don't want gay marriage to happen, don't get gay married, right? Like, just don't. Um, sorry, that was a, supposed to be a joke. Uh, and uh, and um, so now I'm at Chapelwood. I'm trying to figure out what is going on with me. I'm you know, already medically transitioning. I've already come out. Um, I know that I know that I know that I know that God loves me and Jesus is for me um, and that the Holy Spirit has 
covered me and protected me every step of the way. Um, I could have died several times, um, and I haven't. I'm still here. And so uh, I started asking questions about what, what, is, what does Methodist mean? Um, who are these people again, and is it safe here? Um, I confided in one of the pastors, and she just was like, I don't know anything you're talking about right now. I got zero clue what cisgender, what transgender, or anything of the, that matter is, but I want to walk with you through this. I, I'm interested to know what does this mean? What does this look like? Um, and so we've been friends and we've been walking together ever since. And um, I believe that um, God was working in a weird, very, very weird way in my life. And that's how I met uh, this pastor friend of mine. Um, and then I met Matt Russell uh, mm -hmm. a couple years later. Um, but really, like, all of the experiences that I had growing up in the church were really just, it wasn't bad. It was great. Um, I, was, I, I grew up in, a, in an abusive home, and so my safe place was church. Um, and that's where I went. Every summer, every weekend, every Wednesday, anytime they had retreats, anything, I would always be at the church because I could eat there. I had food there. I had shelter. I had... Um, friends and I had adults looking after me right there was a first aid kit there um, and so my experience as a kid like I said wasn't bad in the church until I got older and I started to see my friends um, being kicked out of places um, and being bullied and being harassed um, and that was you know later in life and so now that I've been at Chapelwood and I've been in the church and rubbing elbows with people who uh, are on different wavelengths than I am. Um, it's been hard. Um, it's been hard, but I was telling them on our Zoom call the other day that I have tried and strived to practice mindfulness and carry that at the forefront of my mind, um, that everybody is walking um, each other home, mm. right? Um, everybody is walking each other home. Mm. Yeah. And that we are all human. Um, and I meant to say this earlier, but um, if you're uncomfortable right now, so am I, <laughs> right? If you are uncomfortable, just I'm also uncomfortable, right? Um, and I think that people forget that. Like when we have these conversations, Nobody wants to have them, but we are all so effing curious as to what is happening with all of these sexualities and, and all of these new genders that are coming up. And, and people are, and I say new genders, I don't mean that they're new, they've always existed. Mm -hmm. It's just that society has always tried to silence us and always has ha tried to um, um, erase us. And so, um, the stuff that was erased is coming back, right? Like in Ecclesiastes, it's like everything that's happened is happening again, and it's just going to repeat itself. Um, and that's my little rant. <laughs> and um, uh, so last year, I was in a study with um, a group at Chapelwood, and we were going over this gender and sexuality study with... It was like a white, cis, straight pastor, hetero pastor, um, who was leading it. And they were talking about um, the split and how if you could just sit down with us, with trans people, with queer people, and get to know us, you would know that we belong and that God loves us. Um, and at the end of the, the whole series, it was like eight weeks long, at the end of it, uh, somebody said in the, in the classroom, I wish they would just talk about what the other side believes. And the other side of that, so they were talking about being inclusive and they were talking about what is the other side, non-inclusive? What have we all been taught? That gay people are sinners and they don't belong in the church. 
right? That's what we've been taught our entire lives that, or I don't know about y'all, but my entire life I've been taught that we don't belong in the church. Um, and when this person said that, I immediately um, turned around and I said, have you not been listening this entire time um, that we've been doing this, 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 uh, this series? Um, because the, what you're saying is you just want to believe with whatever your grandpa told you, your granddaddy told you. This didn't go over well. Um, and so I stopped going and participating and stuff um, because it was really hard. I felt very alone. Um, because nobody, like, nobody stood up for me in that moment. As it wasn't until after when people were like, you are so brave for saying that. You are so strong and, and courageous. And I'm saying this, I'm telling you all this because it's, it takes more than just to say, hey, I'm going to get your pronouns right. Um, I'm going to call you sir. It's more than that. It's more than that. So one of the things, um, we're going to, transition to mm -hmm. me and then Roddy is one of the things that sort of brought this conversation about is that there are parts of us, probably parts of each one of us that we have to leave at the door. There's mm -hmm. subjugated parts of us and there's privileged parts of us. There's pieces of ourselves that we think in certain situations can't come with us, but they're always there. So I'm bringing this little person with me today. That's me. Um, and when I was small, um, that's about age six, I was called a little boy every single day of my life for probably the first eight years of my life. I didn't feel like a boy, I felt like a girl, but I liked dressing the way I like to dress. I like to wear shorts and t-shirts. My favorite t-shirt was a tuxedo shirt <laughs> and that Snoopy bag was never left my side. So the, I guess what I wanna say is that there are pieces of us that are misidentified mm -hmm. and pieces of us that are correctly identified and there's this conflict in us to try and unify those things. The pieces of us that have been subjugated and the pieces of us that have been privileged. Um, the work of uh, Dr. Kenneth Hardy really goes into this subjugated self and privileged self. So for example, my, my race is a privilege. In many spaces, my gender is a privilege. Um, but there's also aspects of my gender that are subjugated. There's aspects of being a woman that are subjugated, but there's aspects of being a white woman that are privileged, right? So our racial identities, our sexual identities, our gender identities, all of those play in. And in certain situations, those, those pieces of us that we think are subjugated actually have privilege, and our privileged selves may have to stand back. But today, I'm sort of thinking about how can my privileged self show up as a voice for not only my subjugated self, but those we have excluded from the church, from, from this church, from the Methodist church, from the church as a broad body. Um, we're spending time today on, in the context of gender and sexuality in the church, and I wanted to share a story. You know, I love philosophy, that's one of my <laughs> things that I study, and there's a story from Plato's Symposium that is told by Aristophanes, and, and, and it's a beautiful story about wholeness. And long ago, it is said that there were three genders, male, female, and androgynous, and each person was twice what they are. In other words, we had four hands, four legs, two heads, two sets of genitalia, and so on. We were a unified being that rolled along the earth in cycle, and we were powerful. And the gods didn't like it. So what the gods did was they cut us in half. And they said, if we cut them in half, they won't be so powerful, and they won't be able to defeat us. But if we make them too mad, they won't sacrifice themselves for us. So let's create this longing in these two halves to forever seek each other. To, to forever seek wholeness. And so that, that seeking of our other half, whether it's male, whether it's female, whether it's both, is seeking wholeness. And what Aristophanes said was that when we find our other half, we're overwhelmed with affection. That love is the name that we give to our desire for wholeness and to be restored to our original nature. And each of us has a masculine and a feminine 
nature. We are all both. And we, we call on each aspect of those at different times. I'm, I'm the fixer in my house. I, do, I have all the power tools. Josh does all the laundry, <laughs> you know? So we have masculine feminine that we each call upon on a day-to-day -day basis. Whenever we're working against love, we find ourselves on the wrong side of what is holy. My definition of holiness, my definition of God is love. I have no other way to describe it, and I believe that that, I hope that that love is the grounding of reality. When we're working against love, we become separate. We become separate from each other, we become separate from ourselves, and we become separate from the ground of being. Um, so I guess the hope for this story is that we may one day be restored to our formerly whole selves. And I go recall that little girl that looked like a boy who's in this room with me, who's inside of me, who's here. Each of us has that little person inside. In actuality, these whole selves are always present. We might feel their tug, what's missing from time to time. But many of us have by force or by choice, and I, what I hear Jet saying is that in some ways by force, he had to leave pieces of himself at the door. And there's places where we have to continually do that, where pieces of ourselves have to be left at the door. Said another way, there's an orphaned being inside of each of us. I want to ground this also in religious language. I've actually shown this slide before in here. The word Yahweh, which is the oldest word for God in the Hebraic language, it's a tetragrammaton, which means it's missing vowels, and it has a dual meaning. And it is also meant to be kept unreadable, just as the, in the Hebrew language, God was never to be spoken. right? But it comes out Yahweh, more like a breath. One writer hypothesizes that this word is also backwards. So when spelled correctly, it's kohi, which is actually Hebrew for he, she. So God is he and God is she. God is both and God is neither. And when we can ground our sort of wholeness in this holy language, we realize that we also are both and neither, right? So we imply that God is all of us. We imply that God is all things. The language is there to explain that. Yahweh then later became Abba and then became God the Father. We mask, we, how do you say this? Masculinized God? Said better maybe we defeminized God. We took out the feminine and we kind of made her compliant tamp down that sort of grief and rage at what James Baldwin, one of my favorites, called this loveless world. So when we removed the feminine from God, we removed the feminine from our whole experience of what is sacred. And pervasive in our culture, and where I think this gets a little more personal, is a kind of skepticism about females in religious, spiritual, or leadership roles. In my own experience, I've had my credentials question. I've been called sweetie by so many people, men, and by people that I don't know. Oh, sweetie. You know, it's, it, it, it has the feeling of being like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying in all contexts, but there's that attempt to kind of go, oh, dear. Yeah. Right? Um, I've been corrected when I have offered well-researched information. Uh, I've been touched intimately more times than I can count since I was a child by males, and I, it's not comfortable and it's not with permission. Um, I've, in this room, been questioned for saying almost the exact same thing as Bill has said, and we have felt that tension of, you know, Bill can say, we need to challenge white male patriarchal religion and go, yeah, people go, yeah, we do. I can say it, and it's like, she is radical. Right? So there's ways that things are perceived when spoken by men and by sp when spoken by women that the church has, very, has instilled very strong gender roles in me. That little girl who looked like a boy didn't know what, a, what it meant to be a girl. I just dressed the way I wanted to dress. I was just free the way I wanted to be free. And over time, I learned, oh, girls are supposed to be this way. Maybe I need to be a little quieter. Maybe I need to be a little nicer. 
right? <laughs> um, maybe I shouldn't be angry. And, and a lot of what, the, what, what has happened in the church is that our anger, and I'm talking about holy anger, the kind of anger that maybe we should have around injustice, around non-inclusivity, around not being whole, that belongs in this space, that belongs in our grappling with God, that that holy anger has kind of been set aside. The truth is, though, that, again, it's always there. And I guess what this has made me wonder is that, is whether there's a liminal space where our more vulnerable or denied aspects of ourselves can come together. Like, who's not in this room that's part of you that belongs in this room? that we can all bring those vulnerable selves together. The church's denial of the feminine has led to losses that could otherwise be spiritual teachers. For me personally, the losses mostly impact a healthy connection to sex and sexuality. Uh, we know the virgin myth, right? What Eve is responsible for the fall of all mankind because she was a temptress, right? That's the messaging that, as a child, I got. Whatever you do, don't have sex. And I think that, that, that all of our, you know, however you feel about abortion, our fixation on it is about women and sex. And that's not talked about in a healthy way in most church settings. It certainly wasn't when I was a child. This discomfort has also led to, um, I think, the loss of the feminine leads to homophobia leads to racism, transphobia, and xenophobia. The feminine is creative. The feminine is whole. The feminine is compassionate and loving and fierce. If you're a mother, you know what I mean. If you're a father, you know what I mean. That's your holy feminine energy that we would kill for our children, right? But it belongs here. And I, was, I read a rather sobering article the other day that efforts to control women's bodies are just the kind of tip of the iceberg. The drama that gets us to pay attention is this very polarized issue that in conservative states, other things that are on the table are marriage equity, which impacts two out of three of us sitting here, interracial marriage, which affects me, um, LGBTQIA, TQIA rights and trans rights. Just this morning on my way here, I actually um, shed a few tears. I was listening to NPR, which is like the most common phrase said by any progressive ever. Um, <laughs> this morning on NPR, <laughs> I, I was listening to a mother talk about making contingency plans for her trans daughter to leave Texas. What's my safety plan? And we are, have to be ready to pack up because her daughter can't get the care that she needs here, because people are protesting her when she walks into a clinic to get the psychological and medical care that she needs. A child. I don't understand what people are scared of, but I will say that as a woman in general, as a woman in an interracial marriage, and as a white heterosexual woman who wants to be an ally for justice and inclusion, thank you, the issues are far bigger than my personal safety, but it doesn't feel safe right now. It just doesn't feel safe. And so I, I wonder if we can sort of settle into that discomfort and lack of safety and imagine or craft something new, again, bringing into the room all of these pieces of ourselves that we've left behind. There is another way. There is a more complete self. There is a more complete spirituality that I think can attend to those broken or discarded pieces of ourselves. And that's how we fix society, right? Is by attending to the broken or discarded pieces of it. Um, where I stand with this today, and I'll close here, is that I, I feel um, in a deep state of grief that aspects of my privileged belonging have created. And by that I mean my white self. This culture of domination, which shows up as white supremacy in this country that killed 11 people last week and so many more. We could spend classes and classes and classes naming the people who have died in the name of white supremacy. 
That's a privileged aspect of myself that I should use to speak to the subjugated aspects of others. This domination has hurt my female body. It has hurt black bodies. It has hurt Asian bodies, trans bodies in this very state. The story I just shared was from this state. It has hurt lesbian and gay bodies in our church. These are all representative people that I know I love, and I bet each one of us loves too. Yet we're not whole. So I think what I want to sort of invite, what I hope that our privileged selves can invite is this seeking for wholeness, a seeking for bringing in the pieces of ourselves that have been left behind. So. There I am, <laughs> cute as a bug's ear. I was about nine years old. Um, I knew then that I was a gay man, gay boy, and I knew it before then. I knew it from as far back as I can remember that there was something different about me. And I couldn't speak of it, I couldn't talk about it, I couldn't be it. Um, I went to a Lutheran school, a parochial school, and I started there in the kindergarten and finished in the eighth grade. And basically, it was the same 30 kids all the way through. This, the grades just kind of went up. And it was Missouri Synod, which is very, very, very conservative. And I always say it's like all the guilt of the Catholics, but none of the pomp and circumstance, none of the, none of the, pr none of the pretty things. And I had two little German ladies who taught me in the first grade. Uh, one, they were sisters. They were unmarried. They were very tough. Uh, one of them carried a little brown gentleman with her, and that was her razor strap that she would use on us if we didn't do things correctly. So I've never had a lot of um, joy in going to church. This was right across the street from my parents' house where we lived. We could walk to school, walk back. And I had conflicting stories about religion. Um, I would at the church, it was very conservative. You had to pray. You had to stand just right. You had to do these things. And I would go home, and my parents were drinking and smoking and laughing and having a good time with my aunts and uncles, and then we do that. And we'd go back and forth. I got conflicting stories. And when I would see the, the Bible uh, movies on television, I thought, the heathens are more fun. <laughs> I just don't understand why you'd want to be a Christian. But... I, I went there, and so I, it, church was never anything wonderful. We had Bible class every morning. We had church every Friday, and we had to go to church every Sunday. Walk across the street, come back. Walk across the street and come back. We couldn't speak in church. We had to walk in. We couldn't walk in like a Methodist church and choose where to sit. You'd walk in, and the ushers would look at you, and they would turn, and they would walk. And we'd have to follow them. When they got to a row that they thought was appropriate, they would turn and look at us and go, We'd file in there. You couldn't say a word. You exited the same way. Very, very not comforting to me. And one of the messages I heard, too, was that every time you sin, God writes it down. And this one who was teaching this had a, a podium up there and would say, These, write those down. And as soon as you'd pray, they'd be erased. And my fear was, what happens if I sin and I don't pray? Because if I died in my sleep, that meant I hadn't prayed for it and I would go to hell. So religion wasn't a comfort to me, is <laughs> what I'm trying to say. In that same school, in the seventh grade, I was hanging around with some of the guys in there, and I don't know what was going on, I don't even remember, but it was the first time I was ever pushed to the ground and called a queer. And... I just, I was shocked. I thought, how do they know? And I didn't know that queer was something real. I thought queer was something that was made up, like the boogeyman. I, I just didn't know that there was anybody that was a queer. And so um, it, sh it made me shut in quite a lot. <laughs> I was very withdrawn. I was having a lot of anxiety. I started smoking cigarettes at a young age because <laughs> it seems that's what my parents did, and so I started doing it. It's a place where I could go and be quiet. I would sneak off someplace and smoke a cigarette and hide and have a secret. 
and I did that. And I started drinking early, too. And when I got into a public school, I was overwhelmed because here I was, I knew I was a queer, and I was having to go with uh, over a 1,000 people in a school where I'd only been around 30, 30 people. And I was scared. I was real scared. I thought, what if they find out? What if they do that? And so I shut down. I would not talk much in class. I kept quiet. I did that all the way through high school. I got slammed into a few lockers. Needless to say, I wasn't very good at sports. I didn't like sports. Luckily, in uh, um, uh, gym class, there was a guy named Will, and we were always the last two people called to be on the football teams. And we had kind of an agreement when they say, hoo, 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 that we would just kind of stand up, and if you don't push me, I won't push you. <laughs> We'd just be neutral. <laughs> but you couldn't back out of it, you know, and I couldn't play band, <laughs> so I had to go do that. But I just withdrew. I had lousy grades in high school. I was afraid I didn't fit in. I flunked out of college. I didn't fit in. And nobody had ever said the word gay to me. I didn't know there was anybody else like me. But then I started to figure it out even before I got out of college, out of high school, and I found a lesbian that I knew. And so we kind of talked to each other, and I could go into the gay bars. There was a bar over here on West Dallas called The Joker, and it was a lesbian bar, and I was in my mid-teens, and I would go in there with these people, so I had this separate life from my other life. It would just split back and forth. The police would open the door and look in sometimes, and everybody just boom. Women, if they were caught with their pants zipping in the front, could go to jail. They had to zip on the side or the back. It was that restrictive. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you, you, it, it's, it's huge process, progress has been made over the years, of course. You can sit up here and talk, and I'm glad. And you've taught me things I didn't know about, and I need to be educated. Um, but anyway, I, I felt split. I could go be gay someplace else. As soon as I crossed over Memorial Drive, I could breathe because I thought there was a part of me there, but I couldn't take that person back home with me. So I dated women. I tried that. <laughs> and um, I had a girlfriend. And, um, you know, I gave it the college try. You know, I did. I, I did. <laughs> you know, I did. Tried it, you know. And, and I just wonder how many of you in here could try to have sex with somebody that you're not naturally right. having sex with, how hard that would be, difficult that would be for you. But I thought, I've got to do it. I've got to try. Maybe it's just me. Well, when I finally did come out, I burst out of the closet, and it was crazy <laughs> and all this stuff. But over the years, I decided, too, that the only thing I could be was a hairstylist. I thought that's the only place I could fit. So... I went to beauty school and I became a hairstylist. Now, my mother was a hairstylist. <laughs> Her mother was a hairstylist. My mother's aunt was a hairstylist and had a beauty school. And my sister's mother was a hairstylist, but I never saw any of them do it. So maybe I had the gene for it and it fit. <laughs> and that was a good part. And I was able to do that in my work and be fine and be comfortable. Um, through all this time, I finally ended up, I've been with my um, husband for 40 years now. We've been married for about 11, and it's um, really unusual <laughs> to be a gay couple and not be out and about in the world. You know, there were places where he couldn't be out and about, and there were places I couldn't be out and about. But through him and with him, I met um, Bill Curley. And that was a good thing. <laughs> he taught me a lot. And Sherry Beeman. <laughs> and that was, she was wonderful. She but is. she is wonderful. Yes, she yeah, is. She's, she still is. <laughs> <laughs> you are. Um, but my husband did not ever want to really be out about it. You know, we could be, you know, who we are. That he, he didn't even, he never told his parents I did his mother's hair, and of course, she knew what was going on, but I never said it, you know, but I mean, we knew. But mm. he, at one time later, after his father died, had talked to his mother about being gay, and he said, Mother, why didn't you ever talk to me about it? And she said, 
because you never did. <laughs> she said, I knew, but it's a, it's a big secret. And that's what it is about the Methodist church here that's unsettling. I've been going to Methodist churches, which is a whole lot better than a Lutheran church, I can tell you that. Um, I went to the Methodist church. I went to St. Luke's right over there. I started going to church some there. I went to church at... Uh, uh, St. Philip's Presbyterian Church. Presbyterian church. Um, I've been to the church across the street, <laughs> which was not a pleasant experience. Uh, they had me come over there to talk about being a gay man in church, and I left feeling very less than comfortable about it. I also had something. I'm a member of St. Luke's, and we had a, a meeting one time where uh, we were going to talk about other, uh, like Muslims, homosexuality, other things like that, that we were all going to get together in a group. And I went in there and just kept my mouth shut and listened. And they got to talking about gay issues, and there wasn't much acceptance in there. There really wasn't. And one man just said, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, the pieces don't fit together. It just didn't write. And I said, okay. And I thought, well, <laughs> Try it. And I, and, I, and I didn't say anything until finally... I did speak up, and I said, I'm a gay man. I've been in a relationship for 30 years now, and, you know, we live together. We're nice to our neighbors. Our neighbors are nice to us. We're, we're pretty normal people, except we don't fit what's expected. Um, I always wanted to get married, and my partner didn't. He said he didn't want to do that. And I said, can we wear wedding rings? And he said, No. And so I tricked him one time. We were in Paris. Excuse me. I got shaking. I'm anxious up here for one reason or another. But um, we were in Paris, and I got him up on top of the Eiffel Tower. And I said, will you marry me? And he said, yes. And of course, his joke is, it was too far down to say no. <laughs> So he said yes. And so this was before gay marriage was legal in the country, and there were some places where we could go and get married. Rob said, Let, oh, I wasn't going to mention his name. <laughs> My husband said, let's go to um, New York. Because you couldn't get married in New York, but we always liked going to New York, but we could go to Connecticut and get married and then come back over. But when I mentioned that we were getting married, one of my very closest friends... He and his wife both said, oh, we're coming. We're going to come to that thing. And he was going to be my best man. And then we asked, told some other friends, Bill and Sherry, and they said, oh, we're coming. <laughs> and then I told a couple of people that I worked with, and she said, you were so instrumental in my marriage to my husband. We're coming. <laughs> so we had a number of people that decided they were just going to show up there and be there at our wedding. By then, Rob decided, this is fun. So we decided to get married in Boston where we could get married. And so we found a place, a um, bed, uh, bed and breakfast in Jamaica Plain, which is just right outside of Boston. And so my um, husband decided what he would do is he'd start taking it over. He was going to plan it. He was going to plan the big dinner, and we were going to plan the wedding and do all that. He started getting into it before it was all over with. He was... He was in charge, and that was good. And so we went into before a judge, and we got our wedding license. And um, the judge said, congratulations to you. Good luck in your lives together. And it was so neat to be affirmed by somebody. And I have a good friend. She's still a good friend over at St. Luke's. And I said, we're going to get married. And she said, why are you doing that? And I said, because we want the same rights that you have. And she said, you can get all that through a lawyer. You don't have to get married. You can do properties and do all that kind of stuff. And I said, you don't understand. I want to be acknowledged. And one of the things that was so important about getting married, married is that I wanted, after we're dead, that somebody can go look up some record that we're a couple and that we existed as a couple. We were in love, we're still in love, and when we're dead, we're going to be there. 
Now, we're going to be buried over at St. Luke's Methodist Church. We've got our little niches planned out. It's going to be dad, mom, my husband, and me lined up like birds on a wire. <laughs> we're going to be there. Um, there's no way where I can make us a couple, but they can't do that with anybody else there. Two people may be married with the last name right next to each other, but it doesn't indicate that they're married, but that's okay. I ask, uh, we just celebrated our 40th anniversary, and what I wanted to do was um, have the flowers on the altar in honor of our anniversary. And he wasn't comfortable with that because you can't really be out there. And there was a reason he couldn't be comfortable with that, and I understood it. But it hurt my heart. I would have liked to have done that. You know, every once a year they have a list of all the people who've been married for 50 years and then you know, all that kind of stuff and 40 years and all these people that want to be in it. And I thought, I'd like to be in it there sometime too. And that's... Thank God for this class. I've never felt anything but comfortable in here. Um, Bill and Sherry have normalized us so much. Um, <laughs> the first picture of my husband and me that, that I have was taken by Bill Curley at his apartment. And that's the first one of us together. That man's been an important part of my life and helped soften my thoughts about God. And I don't think God's erasing my sins. I don't think my God writes them down. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. I love you. I love you too, Bill. Uh, you know what? I wish we had two more hours. Oh, I, I didn't realize I talked that long. <laughs> you didn't. No, I was keeping up with each of you. Um, Thank you, Holly. And Holly and I will be back co-teaching soon. Thank you, Jet, for being here. Thank you, Roddy. Um, these people are going to be up here after class. If you want to come and talk, ask questions, um, you're certainly welcome. You, you can stay. Yeah, you can. if you need how to plan, know how to plan a wedding, I can help you out with it. And so can my husband. <laughs> okay. Thank you for being here. No matter where you go this week, no matter what happens, remember this. You carry precious cargo, so watch your step, and I'll see you here next week. <laughs>